Blog Talk Radio. The following broadcast is brought to you by the iGolf Sports Network. The Women of Golf Show is sponsored by the iGolf Sports Network and Golf Tips Magazine. Here's more about our sponsors. iGolf Sports is a live stream broadcast and media production company providing quality programming designed to attract the golfing enthusiast. And Golf Tips, the game's most in-depth instruction magazine, including reviews on the latest equipment, tips from top teaching professionals, all designed to help you improve from tee to green. Good morning. Welcome to the Women of Golf, the number one women's golf show around the world, with hosts Ted Odorico and Cindy Miller. Join them as they interview some of the best players from the Symmetra, LPGA, and Legends Tour, and so many others, helping to elevate women's golf. So without further ado, here are your hosts, Ted and Cindy. All right, good morning, everybody, and once again, welcome back, shall I say, to the Women of Golf Show. We have been off for a few weeks, uh, just enjoying the summer a little bit, uh, so this is actually our first show back. And uh, uh Cindy is actually off as well again this week. Uh, she's at the LPGA's National Championship, so she's actually playing in that event and having a good time with some of her fellow competitors. Uh, so I'll be, as they say, holding down the fort this week. But I want to welcome everybody back to the show this week, and we're really, really excited. We've got another great uh, young lady. In fact, she's coming back. Uh, she was on with us a little over a month ago, I guess, uh, winning her first event on the Symmetra Tour, and uh, it was the Garden City Charity Classic. And she's back uh, after her second win of the season, the Twin Bridges Championship. And I'll bring her out in a second. And then uh, a little bit later on, I'm going to enter in the no BS zone, if you will, myself. Uh, have a, a great conversation with me, myself, and I. Uh, and what you can learn from watching uh, the pros uh, on television or at an event, uh, what you can pick up some great tips. And I'm going to talk about some uh, really, really great uh, legendary professionals, that uh, things that you can learn from them. And and hopefully implement in your own game. But let me just uh, introduce uh, this morning's uh, guest, and uh, we'll get into our discussion. Uh, as I mentioned, she was on uh, a little over a month ago, I guess, maybe a month and a half ago after winning her first event. Uh, her name is Lilia Vu. Uh, she's 23 and a native of Fountain Valley, California, and she helped lead Team USA to victory at the 2018 Curtis Cup, uh, earning four points, and she uh, was a member of the 2018 Arnold Palmer Cup and U.S. World Amateur Teams. As a UCLA Bruin, uh, she was awarded the 2018 Ping WGCA Player of the Year, uh, also Pac-1 Conference Golfer of the Year and Honda Award finalist, also a three-time WGCA First Team All-American and All-Pac-12 performer. Uh, and she, as I mentioned, is the winner of the 2021 Garden City Charity Classic. And most recently, this past week, uh, she won the Twin Bridges Championship. So, Without further ado, uh, let's welcome uh, this morning's very special guest, Lilia Vu. Good morning, Lilia. How are you? Good morning, Ted. Thank you for having me. Well, I appreciate it. And again, I apologize that Cindy wasn't able to join us, but I did speak to her uh, last night. She said to also wish you a congratulations uh, on uh, your past uh, week's event. So congratulations from her as well. Thank you to Cindy. Wish she could be here, but she's at. Yeah. She's out playing LPGA National, so good for her. That's right. She She's out there battling it out with the other uh, ladies in the event, and hopefully she'll come back uh, the winner of that event, and we'll have something to talk about next week. Um, so, again, congratulations from me as well, and, and I know you are obviously very, very excited to uh, get win number two this season, and uh, so that's got to get you pretty excited. So. Let me ask you, to, before we get into some of the specifics of the game, uh, of your rounds and that, what part do you think of your game really came through this past week? What area of your game really, really held it together for you? Um, I think mostly my ball striking. So the mm -hmm. first nine of the first day, I was three over through nine. And I had to basically gather myself and try to play the best golf from there. Because I was pretty angry. I tried not to get angry, but I couldn't help myself on the first day. And I was just so mad at myself. And on the back nine, I decided to just play my own game 
and just see where it can mm-hmm. take me. Like play with what you have, not be so hard on myself. Right. And I ended up finishing one over for the day, one under for the day. And that gave me a lot of confidence going into the next day, knowing that I could come back from a bad first nine. So let me ask you then, just to, to go back to what you said, what specifically, what was it that got you sort of fired up early in the round um, that caused you to sort of, you know, develop that anger? What was it? Was it just you weren't playing well, period, or there were certain parts of your game that were letting you down, or, or what was it that really sort of set you off? And then how did you, what did you say to yourself to say, okay, I've got to switch gears here and get back to business? So the greens were really fast. Um, I was used to the greens from the previous week, which was super slow. So I had to take time to adjust my nine of the first round. So I figured, okay, my ball striking's good. I've always trusted it. Let me just give myself chances for birdie and then reduce my speed to basically half the pace. And it worked out pretty well on the back nine. So that's what I did. And I kept that going into the next few days. Yeah. And, and you know, you, you raise a really interesting point because, again, you can only play your game. That's the one thing, you know, unlike team sports where you've got your fellow competitors to sort of, you know, rely on when, when things are not going well for you personally, you can't do that here out in the golf course. It's, it's you yourself and, and, and that's it. Um, so when things are not, you know, when all cylinders, as they say, are not firing together, you've got to kind of dig deep to, to say, okay, what do I need to do to get back on track here? And it sounds obviously uh, putting was, was something that, that you needed to adjust uh, as you went along. What else in your game during the event, besides obviously being able to strike the ball really well and get it in position, was there another part of your game that really came through for you? So this course is really difficult and very challenging. Probably the hardest course we've played all year. It was It's mm-hmm. very tight. There's tree line. You have to place yourself in certain parts of the fairway so that you don't have a tree in your way. I think there's about four holes where you have to be either left center of the fairway or right center of the fairway to dodge certain trees. Um, I think my strategy and placing the ball is really important, and that's what really helped me, knowing where to put my ball so that I had a clear shot to the hole. Yeah, positioning, uh, I couldn't agree more. Positioning is so important, uh, and this is where a lot of amateurs struggle with. They just sort of get up there and give it a good old swipe and, and you know, uh, pray that it lands somewhere that they, they can play it from. Um, but professional players like yourself, you go in with, with the methodology, okay, I need to get in a position here. So I, uh, and, you know, a lot of times, and I, I hate using this terminology, but we call it kind of target golf. So, you know, instead of just going up there and swing for the hills, you're actually looking, okay, where do I want to land the ball? Um, and so you have to be very, very specific because, again, you might get behind a tree or you might get, you know, in a dog leg and you might be at the, the wrong side of the fairway in that case, and then you've got to, you know, kind of shape the ball around, uh, you know, to get it back into play. So mentally, as you were going around this week, this past week, um, obviously there were moments that got you a little bit angry and frustrated, as you said in the beginning. But, uh, again, the the greens were a little faster this week, so you had to readjust. You managed to do that. Uh, It sounds like you were getting yourself in position uh, more often than not. Um, But mentally, what do you say to yourself as you're, as you're going around the course that, that keeps you in a positive frame of mind? Because it's very, very easy, as I'm sure you can attest to, uh, to get down on yourself if, if you're not playing a good hole or maybe you've had a couple of bad holes strung in a row. What do you say to yourself as you go around? So my caddy and I, he, he knows when I'm feeling down. So he'll walk up to me and he says, let's go make some birdies. And to me, mm-hmm. I feel like I can birdie every single hole. So for fun to go out there and see if I can birdie it. So each hole I get up there and figure out, okay, where's the best place to put myself to give myself a chance for a birdie. If I birdie it, 
great if I don't move on. Don't even think about the last little. So I think I'm really good at being resilient. Say I make a bogey. Mm -hmm. I think I'm going to birdie the next hole, like instantly. Like I know that I feel that I can. And I just get really excited for the next hole. I don't know why, but I get excited to see what I can pull off. So it's super fun for me. Are you a player, and there's some players that aren't able to do this as easily, are you a player that if you do have a bad hole or maybe even two holes, that you can compartmentalize those holes? In other words, block them out and move on, or are you somebody that that sort of brings along that baggage with you from hole from hole? Are you able to dismiss that bad hole or bad holes or even a bad round and and stick with what's, what's at hand? I think I'm really good at putting that stuff in the past. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't – usually a bad hole comes from one bad shot. So I know that doesn't define my whole entire golf game. So I move forward, know that that was just an outlier shot, and then try to uh, make birdies from there. Yeah, I think that's – again, it goes to the differences really – um, between a better player like yourself and many of our amateurs out there, they're not able to do that. I always, you know, Cindy and I always joke on air. Um, a lot of times, I equate it to dragging your baggage through the airport. Um, you know, instead of checking your baggage like most people would do, you'll see people with pulling three or four bags around the airport. They're miserable. They're unhappy because they're not letting it go um, and, and checking it the way they should. So I think that's very, very important as a professional. You've got to be able to do that. Otherwise you're never going to win tournaments. Uh, Obviously, you've been able to do that successfully. So tell us a little bit more. Was there a point during the tournament when you said, you know what, I've got a real good chance here. I've got a good chance to, um, you know, was there a point where you got into the lead earlier in the the rounds? Um, Or was it just right on Sunday when you said, okay, I've got the chance? When was it, did you come to realization that I've got a good chance at winning this tournament? Uh, I think the beginning of the final round, but during the first nine of the final round, I was getting pretty frustrated. So in the final round, it's really hard to pay attention to yourself and, I mean, just yourself and not the other players. And right out of the gate, I think the other two, my fellow competitors birdied the first hole, the other one birdied the second hole, and then I just felt the pressure. I was just really tight game, couldn't swing freely, was getting really angry at unforced error approach shots, and it was the eighth hole, I remember this. I hit a shot, and it was on the green, but it was probably a like 50-foot putt. And Wow. I kind of let out a groan after I hit it. I'm like, oh, my God. And then <laughs> when I heard myself verbally make a sound, and then after the, I walked to the next hole, and I said, this is where that stops. That anger stops here. You have a whole back nine ahead of you. You never know what happens. This is a tough course. Anyone can win. Just have fun. You always play well when you have fun. So just focus mm-hmm. on having fun first and then go from there. And where were you position-wise at that point? When you got to that stage and you, you sort of flipped the switch and said, okay, I've got to, um, you know, I've I, I just got to get back to having fun because I'm going to play well. Where were you position-wise? Were you in the lead? Were you, you know, a few shots back? Or um, were you pretty much even with, what, do you remember? I was, I was third. I was one shot, two shot back to the leader, and there was another person in between us at six mm-hmm. under, and the leader was at seven, and I was at five under. Then I was able to birdie nine, and that really got the ball rolling. So that sort of gave you a, a catapult, if you will, to, to move forward in that. And obviously, in the last nine holes, you were able to really get it going um, and, and get ahead or, uh, you know, jump ahead of the other uh, competitors in that, and ultimately, obviously, went on to win. When you compare yeah. this to Garden City, yeah. When you compare this to Garden City, did this one was it a bit easier? Do you think to close the deal, or was Garden City a little bit easier? And if so, why? I think this week was harder because 
so in Garden City, I played with my best friend in the final round. So it was just like another round together. May the other, right. the better player win and just the best golf win. So we had a ton of fun making birdies and eagles, and it was super fun. This one, I had just met these girls, and they're super good. I was on, they're just surreal. I knew I had to make birdies to win. Like, it was, I had to make birdies. So the pressure was on. Do some players, and I think this is for everybody, but do some players um, help you play better and other players you find yourself struggling more? Uh, and it kind of sounds like maybe that was a little bit, the, the players like what you played this last week get the sort of the juices flowing and saying, you know, I've really got to step up my game. Whereas when you played with your friends in the final round of Garden City, you were more relaxed and more calm and, you know, as you said, the better player win. Do some players get you going more than others, do you think? Um, I don't really let other players affect me. Um, I try to play my own game because at the end of the day, that's the only thing I can control. And so mm-hmm. usually the goal for the day is just to have fun. And then every single time I have fun, the scores turn out well. I try to keep that as my only objective for the day. Yeah, I think that's a, you know, I think that's important. And it goes to, you know, what you said earlier is you really have to learn to play your own game. And I think, uh, again, to draw a comparison between professionals like yourself and, and many of the other young ladies out in the Symmetra and, and the LPGA, I think they've learned that, you know, number one is, you know, get out and have fun and enjoy it. And, and if you're not, then, then obviously things are not going to go well in many cases. But I think most importantly is learning to play your own game because the truth of the matter is you can't control anybody else's shots. You can only control what you do on the golf course. And even that's limited because, you know, sometimes a gust of wind comes up and blows the ball down and it doesn't go as far as you want or, uh, or it comes, you know, from a direction and blows it offline or what have you, or you just miss hit the shot uh, or, you know, what have you. So there's a lot of variables that can always creep in. So I think you have to, you know, as you put in the very beginning, when you, whatever game you've got that day, when you're out in the practice tee and you're warming up and you say, you know what, I'm not hitting it as crisp and solid as I like, but that's what I've got to take to the course today. Um, when you have moments like that, um, what do you do to not let it affect you when you're out on the course? If, you, if you're on the practice tee, let me rephrase this. If you're on the practice tee, you're warming up, as you say, and let's say you know you're not hitting it your best that day, but you know what? You got to get out in the event. You can't just walk away. What do you say or what do you do to ensure that you don't let it get you down throughout your round? So I've always known that practice sessions before the round does not define your round later on. I remember having the best practice session warm up before my round, and I probably played so bad. So I know some of my lowest scores ever have been from a bad practice warm-up before mm-hmm. the tournament. <laughs> so I never get too too worried about it. I'm aware that it was not a good practice session, but I move forward knowing that my game's good enough. I trust my game fully, and then I just go from there. And it's just, I think when I get out there. I only focus on the shot in front of me. And I do this thing where right when I'm about to hit the shot, I tell myself, I love this shot. I love this plan. And then I just go. And that gives me just confidence right before I hit the shot. You know, what I sense so far in our conversation, um, that attitude, having a good attitude can really make or break your, your, your rounds. Would that be an accurate statement? Absolutely. So back in Garden City, I remember I wrote in my practice play journal every single day that the only objective that day was to have strong body language. And mm-hmm. I did that entire week, and it turned out really well. So always have a positive attitude, always have strong body language, 
someone told me this week that they couldn't tell if I was over par or under par as I was walking down the fairway. And that's something I really like to do. So I'm going to try to keep mm-hmm. doing that and not show too much emotion and just stay strong and keep going. Yeah, you have to find, I guess, a way to channel that emotion. Because it's going to happen even to the best players in the world, you know, when, you're, when you're, things are not, you know, working the way you'd like them to work. Um, it's understandable. You're going to get, especially when you're playing for, for money. I mean, you're, you know, you're there. It's, it's living. You're, you're trying to earn your keep, as, as it were. And things don't go the way you'd like them to go. And it's very easy to get upset for anybody at any level. I mean, obviously we see this more in amateurs, but even the professionals, you know, we're all human. Um, so being able to channel that, um, do you do anything to help combat that? I mean, it's very easy to say, well, I'm not going to do this, but do you, do you do any sort of breathing exercises? Like some people find, you know, doing some deep breathing, you know, as they're walking along, kind of calms the nerves down. Is there anything like that that you do or, or maybe have tried that has been successful for you? I think what's really, really critical to me that I just realized now is that walking from green to tee box, that's my moment mm-hmm. where I decide, okay, put this hole behind you. You can't change it. You can only mm-hmm. try and birdie the next couple of holes. Why don't you do that? You know you're good enough. And then I just go from there. I sometimes look up at the sky. So in the book, Be a Player by Pia and Lynn Nilsson. Pia Nilsson and Lynn. um, It says, have strong body language. Look up at the trees. Don't look down. Just never slump over and look down. So when I'm mad, I just look up. And I see the trees. I admire its beauty, and then I remember that I'm grateful to be out here, to be able to play golf for a living, and I go on from there, and then take that energy, and then move forward. Yeah, some great professionals, Pia Nielsen and Lynn Marriott. Um, It's a great book, by the way, and... um, you know, some, some very sound advice as well. It's very easy, you know, and again, I think amateur players don't fully understand this, um, how difficult it really is. They, they equate, um, you know, golf being difficult and how well they strike the ball. And, and certainly that is an important component. I mean, you obviously have to hit the ball solidly uh, in order to, you know, get it in play and so forth. But there's a lot more emotionally and, and mentally that goes into playing really great golf. In fact, Jack Nicholas, who, of course, was arguably one of the, the greatest, if not the greatest player, uh, certainly on the men's side, uh, that ever played this game, said that, you know, 90% of it was, was mental. Uh, 10% was the physical part of his game. And, you know, having that confidence and having that, that ability to, you know, navigate around the course in, in, a, in a confident manner was extremely important. And, you know, there were lots of times he played and didn't always hit the ball as well as he would like, but his mental uh, capacity and his emotional capacity while he was out on the golf course was very hard to crack. And that's what, you know, led him to win 18 major tournaments. Um, something else I want to note, and I, and I want to get your thoughts on this because it'd be interesting to, to see how you uh, feel about this. Um, obviously, as a result of this week's win, uh, you now jump into the number one spot in the Volvic race for the card. So obviously, number one, that's got to be a good feeling for you that, hey, you're, you're moving up the ranks. But does it really – do you focus on that? Does, uh, or is it just, I just want to go out and play, and at the end of the season, hey, if I've racked up enough you know, points or enough money, what have you, to you know, get into the next level, um, I'm okay with that. Does that position really matter to you as much? Uh, it's a nice thing to have, but is that really something that you focus on? Uh, Like you said, it's a nice thing to have, but I am aware of where I stand on the money list, but I don't pay attention to it because Mm -hmm. I try to disassociate myself to it, just play each tournament one day at a time and go from there. That's really how uh, my caddy Mm -hmm. and I work, just one shot at a time. So, and I know there's, eight events left, so I just got to 
focus and do my thing uh, and have fun. Honestly, it's just so fun playing all these tournaments. And, yeah, just have fun and everything will work itself out. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I think it's so important that that you have that attitude because I think if you, you know, if you focus on that aspect all the time, you know, because let's face it, you know, there's going to be seasons where, you know, you're going to move up and down and sideways and whatnot. And if you're constantly focused on where you are, then you're not really focusing on your game. It's more about position and that can be very distracting. It's much like, and again, I don't knock anybody for doing this, but some people like to watch the scoreboards and it's okay if you're paying attention to where things are, but if you're obsessing over the scoreboards, let's say, and say, Oh gosh, I'm, you know, I'm five back and I've only got, you know, six holes to play. Um, you know, that can derail sometimes momentum as well. Would you agree with that, you think? Yeah, I agree. I try not to look at the scoreboard, but I do glance over and I know where I'm at and I take note and then I just move forward. Yeah, I think that's... It's really uh, easy. Again, it goes back. Go ahead. Yeah, it's just really easy to get caught up on the scoreboard I know some players do that and some people obsess about the money list and it just mm-hmm. doesn't help at all with your game no I I think you're right I think it's very distracting and I think this it doesn't serve you well uh, again you, you know whatever happens happens you know you just go along you know how many events you're playing in in uh, each you know each season and you know where you have to be in order to move you know to advance uh, forward as it were um, and so you just go out and play your best golf each week, and and hopefully if you're playing well, you're going to move up the board anyways. But uh, if you're obsessing over, or if you're worrying about well, where am I in relation to this player over here or that player over there, or you know where am I in relation to the tournament? If you're obsessing over that, then it becomes a distraction, and it's not a good distraction, um, I would think. So as we look back thus far in the 2021 season here on the Symmetra, you've played in 11 events. Uh, made 10 cuts, and you've banked uh, a little over $99,000, which is a nice little chunk of money, uh, two victories and four top 10. So uh, as they say, that's some nice coin or money so far this season. Uh, Are you going to buy yourself something special, uh, or are you just going to sock it away? And obviously, I know you have expenses and things like that, but are you just going to put the majority of it away, and or are you going to treat yourself to a little something maybe at the end of the season, or have you already done something? Um, so I remember last time I said I was going to buy a track man if I won another tournament, but I did. My dad was nice enough to split a track man with me, so I already got that. So after this win, I don't really have <laughs> anything that I want right now. I know somebody asked me right after I won, like, oh, what are you going to buy? And I could not even think about one single thing. I could not. But hopefully by the end of this week, uh, maybe I'll buy, I don't know, like makeup, stop by Sephora or something. I have no idea. <laughs> well, you know, that's good. That's a nice problem to have. You know, I think it's, it's important to certainly not go crazy and just, you know, a track man, of course, is not very expensive, so, or it is very expensive, excuse me, so uh, that's a pretty big purchase, and it's very nice that your dad uh, went halves with you uh, on that. So that's a that's a nice little perk to have. Um, but I think it's good. I think it's you know it's nice. And maybe at the end of the season, you know, you might go and get yourself a little, uh, you know, something maybe a little, you know, piece of jewelry or something as a momentum of a, of a good season, of a really good season actually, um, to do that. And if not, that's okay because you got the track man, so that's going to help you uh, moving forward as well. So. Um, but yeah, very interesting. So uh, I just got a couple more questions I'm going to ask you. The first one is obviously, uh, as you mentioned to me, uh, you guys are off this week. Um, are you playing? Uh, what's the next event you're going to be playing in? And what are you going to do, uh, or what typically do you do to prepare for it? Um, so the next tournament we're playing in is Battle Creek, Michigan, which. I will fly to Chicago, then go on Monday to Battle Creek. Um, There's some parts of my game that I want to clean up 
So I'm going to practice this week and get that stuff dialed in. Um, I know that even when you play, if even when you win golf tournaments, it's still not absolutely 100% perfect. So I know what I need to work on. So I'm excited to practice, honestly, and just clean those parts up and then move on to the next tournament. Yeah, I think that's, uh, I think it's very smart. You know, obviously you've been doing a lot of things very well, um, you know, and as a result, you're, you're getting some great results. So uh, it's good that you're not looking to make, see, that's the other thing I, I find sometimes, you know, over the years watching a number of different tour pro- uh, players, uh, they start reinventing the wheel and making, you know, massive changes, think, okay, I'm doing pretty well, but boy, if I made these changes or I did this, that, and whatever, it's going to be that much better. And a lot of times it has the, the adverse effect and, uh, can work to them as a negative. So I think that's good. You're just going to clean up a few things, but uh, you're going to keep moving forward pretty much as you've done all season. And I think, uh, you know, with eight tournaments left, you've got a pretty good shot, maybe get number three uh, before the season's end. What do you think? Yeah, um, I'm just going to dial in some some wedges, some ball striking, and do some maintenance work, maintenance work on ball position and just do all that stuff. And then, try to go and win some tournaments. Yeah, I think uh, you're, you're in a good position to do that. And uh, it's always nice to come into an event after a win because you're kind of stoked up and in a good frame of mind. And that's always uh, exciting to, to uh, and, and you can relax a little bit too. Not that you're not relaxing, but, um, you know, you can get in there. You, you've got the task at hand, whatever that, you know, the next tournament is. Um, but having a win sometimes makes it a little bit easier. All right, as I mentioned, I asked you off air if you would stick around for a few more moments. Uh, typically, we let our, our guests go in the first, uh, at the end of the first segment, and we're coming into a segment that we call, we've named the No BS Zone, and basically, it's just a, a frank discussion about a variety of different things, and uh, I wanted to get your thoughts on a couple of things, and then, you know, if you need to go, that's fine. Um, so this no BS zone is called what you can learn from watching pros. Um, but one of the questions I want to ask you first before I, I get into that specific is if you had any tour pro, male, female, doesn't matter, if you had their ear for an hour or two, in other words, if you could sit down and, and just talk with them about whatever you want to talk about, what would the discussion be about, do you think, and who would it be? Hmm. That's such a good question. Um, I really look up to John Rom and the way he can just rise above and rise to the occasion. I want to ask him how he gets into that zone and where it's kind of weird, but I feel like my game is pretty similar to him where he gets really dialed in and really focused and he could pull off these amazing putts. I just want to know what his mindset is. And I feel like he's been on a a pretty positive attitude journey Mm -hmm. because I remember before he would get pretty angry. And um, as we know now, as he's more happier and he's just playing better, it's just everything just falls into place. So I'd want to see how he managed because I did get, I'm human. I get, kind of angry when I don't pull off certain shots so I want to see how he picks himself off the ground and just goes from there I think that's a great choice and you know obviously he's had a uh, kind of an unusual season this year he's obviously went on to uh, you know to win the major and that but you know he obviously at the memorial had uh, you know some challenges as we all know and, uh, yeah. you know, that would, would be enough to, to make anybody angry. Uh, but, you know, it is what it is. But yet he came back and went on to, you know, to win the major. So, uh, obviously, he was able to, to flip that. So, I think that's a great choice, um, you know, for you to have. Because you're right, just from what you discussed so far this morning, there are some similarities. I mean, we all get upset when we don't do things well. But, you know, as you pointed out, you, you were a little bit angry uh, you know, for the front nine of the first uh, um, round in this past week's event, but you were able to change your mindset. So I think that would be a good fit for you to sit down and have a discussion and say, okay, John, what are you doing? You know, I find myself in this position sometimes. How do you 
get around it. I think there'd be some great conversation back and forth. So I think you could probably learn from each other, actually. So that's a good choice. So, yeah. Um, oh, I was going to talk about how, Yeah, I was watching John Rom when he played Amazing on Saturday at the Memorial. And mm-hmm. I saw what had happened, and I just felt really bad. And then I saw him at his speaking in an interview down at the US Open just saying like how he just stayed positive about it and just moved forward from there. It was super inspiring. Love it. Yeah, I think you know again, you know, I don't think people really appreciate, you know, they they tend to focus on the professionals physical game, you know, how well they play, uh, how well they hit the ball, but they don't really understand that there's a lot more to it. And, you know, when you're, when you're in tournaments where you're playing, you know, for a lot of money and, you know, there's a lot of, you know, things to factors to bring into it, it can be very, very challenging. And I don't think a lot of amateurs really appreciate that. They look at it and they just say, wow, you know, these guys are lucky they're out there playing and, you know, the purse is X, Y, Z. And, you know, I, I wish I could do that. And, you know, we all do, but, um, but they don't really realize what goes into it mentally, what goes into it, obviously, physically. Uh, but just the preparation, week in, week out. I mean, think about this. You're playing, you know, several rounds. You end a thing, you're, you know, either flying or driving or whatever the case is to the next event, and you're right back at it again. And, you know, one or two events might be okay, but when you string four or five or six of them in a row, you can be pretty tired, you know, come the end. So, uh, you know, uh, kudos to the professionals to be able to master that because it's not easy. So I want to ask you a question, uh, again, from a professional standpoint. And, again, this is what we can learn from, you know, watching or even listening to the pros. Uh, I guess I can change that. There's a lot of misconceptions in golf that I think amateurs really need to know. Can you think of any specifically? What is it that amateurs, uh, again, don't get about golf um, that might be able to maybe some misconceptions, things they've heard or things they've seen that they really don't understand um, unless you're out there playing. Is there any that you can think of that might be need, a need to know for them that's going to help them in the long run? Um, <laughs> so when I was down at the U.S. Open following some just players down there, I could hear spectators saying, oh, that wasn't a good shot. And that mm-hmm. kind of angered me because they don't know what lie the pros have and mm-hmm. the rough is basically knee deep the super long course the u.s open setup you know and just hearing spectators yep. give their two cents when they don't know what lie <laughs> professional has it's just right <laughs> kind of upsetting because there's some shots that are super amazing probably gets to 10 feet from like a green, a short sided green side bunker, but they don't know that's a good shot. So they'll just be mm-hmm. like, oh, that was an okay shot. But they don't know that that was right. probably an amazing shot, a fried egg or all that stuff. So I feel like they kind of underestimate, underestimate our lies out there. Um, I feel like they think that we hit every shot perfect. Which is not true mm-hmm. because on my final round uh, the other day, I my last three holes, I missed the fairway with my driver, which I usually am pretty good off the tee. And for some reason, I guess I was nervous, feeling pressure. I pulled my drive on 16. There were so many spectators, and there's one guy right next to me. He goes, oh, she pulled her drive bad. And I'm like, dude, I could hear that. <laughs> Don't just come around here. Like, thank you for coming out, but I don't need – I know I hit the ball, so you got, you don't got to tell me. <laughs> so I think so they long? underestimate certain pressures that we have, <laughs> the lie, everything, and where we have to place ourselves, pulling off the shot, having all these spectators come out. It just looks so easy, but it's really not easy. So let me ask you, uh, Lilia, did you break your driver when you hit him over the head after that comment, or or did you just keep pace and move on to the shot? <laughs> no, I moved forward, and I actually hit – I was in the trees, 
So I had to draw it around the tree over water with a seven iron. Wow. I'd hit it, and I overcooked my draw a little bit, and I was like, oh, gosh, that's in the water. And my caddy goes, no, that's there. And then it ended up 20 feet from the hole, like a great shot. So wow. that was pretty pretty yeah. good to finish the hole like that. Yeah, you, you raise a really great point, though. I'm just obviously teasing you about hitting him over the head. Probably, I, if it was me, I probably would have hit him over the head and and uh, been disqualified. But um, but you're right. I mean, you know, I had been to many events over the years, and you know, watching the pros, and I would hear spectators say things, and I would just be rolling my eyes because I knew better. I knew, you know, being around the game long enough, I knew exactly what the pros are facing with, and and um and some of the challenges that they may have out there and it, it it's you know it always is interesting when you hear what we call the the armchair uh quarterbacking from some of these fans and in this case they're right out there and they're oh i can't believe she did that or oh come on that was just you know ridiculous and you know they just come out with these stupid comments and they just don't so that's definitely a misconception. They just don't understand or they think it's, you know, because it's out in the fairway, uh, you know, this should be an easy shot. But what they may not realize is your ball might be sitting in a divot. Um, so that yeah. can present some challenges. I know you guys are good enough to, to, you know, but again, anything can happen when you're out there or, you know, you may not have a great lie. It might be out in the middle of the fairway, but it might be a, a, a downslope or or what have you, and, and uh, you know, you're, you're going to a, a tight pin and you've got water in front or you've got multiple bunkers around. So it's not always an easy shot, and you're right. There's always uh, room for uh, error, and I think just sometimes the fans. So that's a great example. I'm glad you, uh, you, you said that. So let me ask you, um, I always like to, to – I think the women on the LPGA, and obviously I include the Symmetra here as well, um, I, I love watching the, the ladies play whenever I can because they they just seem to and I, I don't want to take away from the PGA or, or what have you but it, it's become basically a driver and wedge game in the men's because they're just bombing it out so far and you know for the most part women don't tend to hit it as far obviously um, so they tend to play with more of, of the clubs in the bag and they always seem to be more creative in their shots I think than the men are so what do you think that the the average male player, and I'm not talking professional player, but amateur, could learn from watching the ladies of, of the LPGA or even the Symmetra Tour? What could they learn from you gals that um, would help their game? What is it that you guys do so well out there um, that they could learn from? They should play with what they have. I think they really look mm-hmm. up to PGA Tour golfers and Bryson DeChambeau, and they just try to hit as hard as they can. Like, I play with some yep. members at my home club, and they just try to rip it. And <laughs> I think a more 90% swing and just keeping the ball in the fairway and going from there would really help their game. Because I think amateurs off the tee, that's where they can improve the most, just positioning themselves in the fairway and then going from there. Because once they – hit an errant tee shot and then you have to re-tee again, that's ready, what, your third shot hitting off the tee. So I honestly think just dial it back a little bit and just swing your swing and not try to swing out of your shoes. Right. Well, and, and I know, you know, Cindy, who, of course, is an LPGA professional, and she's played both on the, the regular LPGA tour as well as the, the Legends tour. And, you know, she plays, as I'm sure you have, uh, played in, in, you know, pro-ams, and you see a lot of these, uh, you know, folks come up. And, and, again, that's one area that they really have a problem with. They just feel, uh, for some reason, compelled that they got to swing for the hills uh, and ultimately end up having. But there's other things, too. What are some other things that you've noticed if you've played in some pro-ams that you see a lot of amateurs do that, that uh, you know, as a, as a, a member of, of the women's tour, that you think that um, they could learn from watching you gals? Um, picking the right clubs. Honestly, I've played in some pro-ams and they just completely pick the shorter club where it won't ever get there and then they'll miss at the shot. So it'll go half the distance. I think they should Mm -hmm. know where they 
their distances, I think, and then go from there because more often than not, they choose the wrong club. And that's, that's it. It's just a little short or a little long. Do you know, it's funny that you say that. Um, that has got to be the number one answer that I have heard from virtually every tour player that I've had the pleasure of, and, and Cindy and I have had the pleasure of talking here, uh, you know, uh, when we have the various winners on, and we'll ask them periodically about that very same thing. And I think that's the number one answer is picking the wrong <laughs> club. So you're right on. It's true. I mean, you know, Cindy has said this many times on the show where she'll be in a pro-am and she'll be with these guys from different corporate, uh, you know, corporations not that jump in on, on these pro-ams. And, you know, they'll get out there and, and, you know, they'll have, you know, 165 yards or something. And, you know, maybe she's hitting an eight iron, let's say, for argument's sake, or a seven iron. And they think, okay, I'm going to play a certain club, whatever it is. And she knows they're not based on what they've been doing. They're not going to make it. And, you know, she'll try to encourage them to, you know, maybe you need to hit that six iron or, or maybe, you know, maybe you need to hit the seven iron instead of the eight, that type of thing. So, yeah, that's, a, again, that's spot on because um, they don't know their yardage. They don't know how far they hit their clubs. And they just say, okay, well, the seven iron goes this far typically on a perfect shot. Um, so that must be the club I've got to pick. And more often than not, in most cases, if they hit it even well, they're way short. And they can't figure out why. So uh, I, kudos to you for uh, um, for for uh, bringing that up as well. How do you get the most out of new equipment? You guys obviously have access to uh, you know the best equipment out there. You get to see and play and and work with a lot of different uh, manufacturers over your careers and and uh, and get to play the equipment that works best for your game. But a lot of amateurs kind of miss the boat here as well. And this is something they can learn from watching the pros. And that doesn't mean they have to just pick, you know, they have a favorite player, well, he's playing so-and-so or she's playing this. I've got to play that too. Talk about how important equipment is and really what amateurs should be looking for to fit their game. What should they be doing? Um, so I grow really attached to my clubs. I don't like to change too much but I do update my clubs maybe every two years um mm-hmm. my assistant coach's husband in college told me if it ain't broke don't fix it and right. I feel like amateurs they get a new driver and they play it for a year and they see these top dogs with a new driver and they just yep. keep getting new right. stuff and they uh-huh probably already got used to their previous driver, but because all of this marketing and all these new new clubs that the pros use, they change their driver too. And then, honestly, it's probably the same driver with a different aesthetic and probably with a better spin rate, honestly. But they go Mm -hmm. out there and then they have to relearn a club and then – their golf game kind of goes down first before going back up, you know? Yeah, and that, that's a great point because you're right. By the time their game starts to go back up, they're saying, well, you know, now it's time to buy XYZ driver. So they go out and do the whole process again, and then they wonder why they never really improve because they're, they're constantly changing things up. I think some other things too, um, and I've asked this question, of course, many times, uh, you know, over the years on the show and I think one other thing, too, and, and obviously, you know, most amateurs are not playing as often as, as you guys are out in tours, but making sure that you're changing your grip, uh, the grips on the clubs every season, at least once, um, sometimes twice if you're playing a lot of golf, um, because I've, I've, seen, I've seen some people out there playing grips that are, are so slick. I mean, you know, they're faster than a Hot Wheels track. Uh, you know, racetrack, and, um, you know, they're just, they're slipping and sliding all through their hands, so I would say grips are one, and I think also playing the right shaft in your club. I've seen so many, especially men are terrible at this, you know, they don't really get a proper fitting, they see so-and-so playing something, their buddy's playing it, and maybe he's a little bit bigger, better golfer, and he's playing a stiff or an extra stiff shaft, they think that's what they've got to play, and they go out and they buy that, 
and they don't have a, the swing speed or the club head. They can't generate the club head speed needed to play those stiffer shafts. Um, so I think the shafts are important to make sure that you're properly fitted with, and I think also the grips. Is there anything else that you can think of? Uh, no, I think you hit both of them. I mean, I'm guilty of not changing my grips. It's not until somebody tells me, like, hey, Lilia, you got to change your 7-iron. <laughs> it's literally a rubber tire. Then I'm like, oh, dang. And right. then I get really embarrassed. <laughs> and I'm like, Dad, can you change my grip? And then um, shaft's really important. So I know some yes. club members, club, and they'll just be on the range with these new Korean shafts, just trying them. And I'm, I just want them to mm. just get fitted for them rather than just experimenting. But it's fun for them, so I can't say anything. Sure. So. <laughs> Well, I, I agree with that, and, and I, I couldn't agree more, Lilia. You need to, to get those grips done because you play a lot of golf, and, and yeah, and, and especially there's obviously some clubs that you play more often uh, or use more often during your rounds, like your 7-hour, and obviously it's probably a, a, a common club that you use a lot. So, yeah, if it's getting a little slick, you better take a look before you get out in the next couple of weeks and, uh, and play the next round. Uh, you might want to take a look at the grips and make sure if you haven't changed them recently. Um, <laughs> Yeah, because you know what you don't you don't want to get out there and someone say Lilia that uh, you know that nine iron's looking a little slick now too so um, definitely yeah. get your dad get your dad it's to change them up for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. So so here's an overall question. I'm going to give you a couple of things and then I just want to get your your response to it as we get ready to to close up here. So the last one is can amateurs learn from watching the pros? And I sort of added an extra caveat, and that is what specifically. And I'm going to give you two examples. These are two players. Uh, they happen to be both men, and I, I know you're going to know both of them. Uh, but here's some things that I've noticed about them um, that I think a lot of amateurs could learn from. So the first one, obviously, is one of my favorite players was Jack Nicholas. Um, obviously, I'm dating myself, so you know I'm an older person, so that, that's mm -hmm. probably why he's fitting in the wheelhouse. Uh, but he was very long and straight, and he had a preferred fade, which often served him well. He was also the first player to really chart and document his yardages on the course uh, on a consistent and planned basis. So what I take away from that is two things. Obviously, he worked at his game. Uh, he was very fortunate. I mean, obviously, we, you know, having distance and hitting straight is obviously uh, accuracy is more important, I think, than distance. But um, that was something that was important to him. And he had a, a preferred uh, shot, if you will, uh, a fade was what he worked with. Now, he actually, during his career, and a lot of people don't know this, uh, he worked for one season with a, a different teach professional than his traditional uh, professional, uh, Jack Grout. And they tried to get him to start drawing the ball, and he had an abysmal season. So he went back to his, his fade. I think from an amateur standpoint, I think having – a shape shot or a, a specific shot uh, in the bag, if you will, is, is important because it, it's something you can rely on and fall back on. And I think also, too, uh, as I mentioned later on, he, he documented and, and sort of charted the yardages. So it gave him an idea, especially if you're playing your, your home course and that, to know how far you're hitting it, knowing how you're hitting it. And so, sort of, in other words, keeping track of your stats, I think it's equally important. What do you think about what Jack did? And obviously it served him well, but do you think that's something that uh, amateurs maybe could learn from as well? Absolutely. I mean, even I do that. I chart my uh, yardages too. And now with the track, man, I see my carry distances and mm -hmm. now I know that better. And so when I, get to a certain number, I have peace of mind because I know that my nine iron will get there. And it's so important. And to also have a go-to shot. So I naturally hit a draw, a push draw. And I think two years ago when I was in my little slump not playing well, I couldn't hit a draw the way I wanted to. So I tried hitting a fade on every single shot or just a cut. And it did not work out. But I mm. switched back to my natural swing, which is the draw, and now if I want to hit a cut or or a fade, I have it because I know how to hit it now. So I think what's really helped me is having two shots that I could go to, either just a draw 
or just like a baby fade. I know my fade only goes five yards to the right, five yards of curve, but it it's pretty helpful just knowing that I could rely on those two shots. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, obviously for amateurs that, that don't play as much and that, I mean, you know, you don't want them monkeying around too much. I mean, they just want to be able to hit it solid and, and hit it down the fairway. So, you know, they're not going to get too fancy. But, you know, Jack often talked about hitting that fade and how important. In fact, he also went on to say that there were a lot of golf courses that he played that it didn't, as he referred to, it didn't fit his eye. In other words, he couldn't really play a fade on those holes because they were more right to left uh, in, in their shape. So they didn't fit his eye. But having that uh, helped in his strategy and how he played golf courses because if a golf course was really not set up that he could play a lot of the holes or a majority of the holes with a fade um, and, and with success, he didn't play. And so, you know, having that shot in your bag, if you will, and being able to rely on it is, is a big plus. And again, as you pointed out, keeping track of, of stats and yardages and things like that also helps you um, throughout your season. At the end of the season, you can review all of that and say, okay, well, here's, here's some commonalities throughout all my rounds. I, you know, I made some, a lot of putts or, you know, my putting was a little sketchy or, you know, my wedge game wasn't good and, and so on and so forth. It gives you a more definitive area of where you need to work on, on the off season. Um, my other player I want to bring in real quick because we, we're getting close to our time is Tiger Woods. Um, and the reason I picked both of these guys is obviously um, they had really, in my opinion, some of the best game uh, in the business. And Tiger, of course, first joined the PGA Tour in 1996, and his long drives had a large, huge impact on the world of golf. We see a lot, especially in the men's, but even the ladies, you see a lot of players really wanting to step on it and get it out there in the fairway. Um, but what was really interesting is he didn't upgrade a lot of his equipment for many, many years. Much like you, he kind of you know, had his favorite uh, equipment, and, and really he insisted on using specific types of, of shafts, and, and he actually preferred the, the smaller steel club heads uh, because it, for him it promoted, promoted more accuracy uh, really over distance. But one interesting thing is that, and again, a lot of amateurs may not be able to get out of this part here, but it's interesting, and, and I wanted to get your thoughts. He also had several shots. In fact, some people say that he had nine shots in the bag. You know, Nicholas talked about his fade. Tiger actually had nine shots, which he could recall at any time during his round. So obviously this per, uh, provided a big advantage. So I'm not saying every amateur has to have nine shots, but give you an example, you know, Tiger could obviously work the ball either way, left or right, but he also could hit it high, low, and medium. And, and so he had nine shots. Every, every shot that he stepped up in front of, he had nine shots in the bag that he could call upon. That's a huge advantage. And I think that really goes to why he did so well uh, out on tour. What do you think about that? I mean, obviously, again, talk about maybe the equipment there, you know, sticking with something that works for you, but also having a reliable shot or shots to be able to recall at any time and working on and perfecting those to a point that you can call on them any time during your round. Give me your thoughts. So first, Tiger is so amazing. He's so talented. I remember watching a video on YouTube with the nine shots, he's on the range hitting the nine shots, the low draw, the low fade, the low straight, yep. just all of that. And I mm -hmm. thought that was amazing. Obviously, I, I'm on the range, and I like to have fun too. And can't hit a low fade, but I can definitely hit a high fade. So that's something I've been working on, just trying to get all those shots in because I know I have it in my wheelhouse. But he's so talented, and that's just so beneficial to have. Another thing, too, I remember Tiger talking about is that when he's warming up, he plays mm -hmm. with whatever shot he has that day. Say, mm -hmm. like, he has a five-yard yep. fade. He'll just go on the course and just play that. There's no yep. no changing on the course, like, your swing. Like, that's the thing I don't do. I don't change my swing on the course. That's just You're not going to figure it out. Just play with what you have and go from there. So I think that's really important as well. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more, and, and it goes to what you said earlier on. I mean, you know, we're all going to have good days, bad days, um, and, you know, if you can play, if, you, if that five-yard fade um, is what you've got that day out in the, on the range, then that's what you play with in your rounds. You, you work around that. You don't try to manipulate and change, and that's where I think a lot of amateurs go wrong 
is they try to manipulate, make changes, and say, well, okay, I, you know, I, I normally play a draw, and for some reason I'm fading it today, so I've got to figure out, oh, I've got to tighten my, you know, I've got to twist my grip a little bit, strengthen it up, and the next thing you know, you know, they're topping it, and they're doing all kinds of funky things out in the golf course. And obviously the pros are a little smarter about it, and they don't try to do that, but, you know, a lot of amateurs. So I think that's a great point. And I think it's, it's interesting, too, that you recognize that in him, you've heard him talk about it, and also about the different shots, that you recognize that, hey, he brings a lot of shots to the, to the round. And even in your own game, you've got a few shots in the bag as well. You may not have nine, but you've got a few in there that you know that if you get in a situation and it calls for a high, you know, a high fade, you've got that in the bag. If it calls for you know, maybe a low draw or something, you know, you've got that in the bag. And that's, that's really what I'm getting at here. And I think those are things that the amateurs can, uh, can really draw from watching pros. And I think, you know, it's very difficult to see that on television because obviously the cameras play tricks and things like that. And I strongly urge patrons to go to events, whether it be the LPGA events, the Smetra event, PGA, whatever, you know, is in your area, uh, or even if you've got to drive a little bit to get to one, there's nothing better than going to a live event and watching these players, um, both on the practice tee, you know, when they're warming up, and obviously following, you know, maybe your favorite player around the course, and just watch them go through the process because you can learn a lot um, from how they conduct themselves, and you're going to see some bad shots, a lot more than you're going to see on TV because they don't seem to show too many of the bad shots, um, obviously, for for television reasons. Uh, And you get to see how the players handle that. And you can pick up a few little nuggets, I think, um, by doing that. So... um, Great answers, Lily. Uh, you, you're uh, you're right on the money here. You you uh, you handled that very well, and I appreciate you uh, sticking around and helping me uh, enter the no BS zone, as we call it here on uh, the Women of Golf. And and uh, I'm sorry for keeping you so long, but as you said, you're off this week, so uh, I had a little extra time with you. So I hope you don't mind me keeping you uh, sticking around here. But uh, I think you did a great job in, in answering these questions, and hopefully many of our amateurs have, have learned uh, a few little nuggets from, from what you said. So um, onward to the next event, which is uh, not this week, but uh, next week, correct? Yes, next week. Up in Michigan, so you're going to be getting ready for that. Um, well, Ilya, again, congratulations on winning the, uh, the Twin Bridges Championship this past week, and obviously for earlier for winning the Garden City Charity Classic. Um, you're well on your way to uh, having a great season. You've got eight events left, as you mentioned. Um, so just go out and, and knock them dead, and just go out, and more importantly, go out and have some fun. And don't forget to get those grips changed. <laughs> Thank you, Ted. It's been so fun. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Well, listen, great rest of the season. Get out and win at least one more event so you can come back and, and uh, Cindy should be on with the next time so you'll get a chance to talk to her as well. But win another event this season, more, most importantly for yourself, but so you can come back and talk with us again. Okay, sounds good. I'll do my best. All right, I know you will. All right, Lilia, thank you very much. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right, that was uh, Lilia Vu who won the Twin Bridges Championship this past weekend and, and uh, a special thank you to her for... Uh, uh, being extra extra special today and, and sticking around and helping me go through the uh, the no BS zone. I hope you enjoyed the show. Cindy will be back next week. We'll have another uh, great uh, guest lined up for it and and uh, some more uh, interesting discussion. Hopefully, help uh, you guys out there. And I hope you learned from that. If you didn't get a chance to hear the whole broadcast, or even if you did, I think a lot of what Lily uh, Lilia talked about during this last segment. Um, and really what you can learn from the pros I think could be really invaluable. So go back, uh, go to blogtalkradio.com forward slash women of golf, and you can scroll down after the show, and you'll see the on-demand section, and you can listen to the show again in its entirety, or you can fast forward to whatever point you want. But it's definitely worth it. I think there's a lot of great information there that she's given you uh, that will hopefully help you with your game. But on that note, God bless everybody. Have a great week, and I will see you next time here on the Women of Golf. The following broadcast is brought to you by the iGolf Sports Network.
Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed listening to this week's Women of Golf show. Ted and Cindy wish to thank this week's special guests. Remember to join them every Tuesday from 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern here on the iGolf Sports Network or on any of these social media platforms, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, CastBox, TalkStream Live, and of course Spotify. To get updates on the show, you can follow the Women of Golf Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash womenofgolf. This has been a production of the iGolf Sports Network. With the Lucky Land Plus, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.